the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, December 2nd. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, we'll be looking behind the figures of the booming government exchequer tax figures and teasing out the sale of fuel retailer Topaz, which looks set to net Dennis O'Brien a tidy windfall. But we'll start, first of all, with the exchequer returns, which show that buoyant corporate tax receipts pushed tax income up €470 million Euro in November, while expenditure was broadly in line with budget. Joining me in the studio to discuss the figures are economist Jim Parr and Irish Times economics editor Arthur. Arthur Beasley. Arthur Beasley, uh, we'll start with you first. Why don't you take us behind the figures? We're 470 million euro ahead of targets in November. That's just in November. Ex- expenditure is in line, broadly in line with budget. Well, to, to borrow from an expression used in another place this week, no one in the revenue commissioners is going to get thrown under a bus for these returns. Uh, they're really quite uh, impressive. They show essentially that in the first 11 months of the year, that uh, the tax revenues are coming in almost three billion ahead of target, and when you boil it all down, what the figures show is that the government came close in the first eleven months of the year to collecting the entire sum foreseen for the whole of the year uh, at the very outset. That was a budget time last year. So the total tax return in the eleven months is as near to makes no difference to forty two point forty two billion forty two point three billion was foreseen for the the whole year. So they're well ahead of target. And the upshot of it all, even with supplementary spending uh, settled uh, in, a, in a number of departments, is that the deficit is going to come in at the year end around 1.7% of economic output, possibly 1.6%. And on budget day, one year ago, a little more than a year ago, the prediction was 2.7%. And on the budget in October, only six weeks ago, uh, that plan was cast on the basis of the deficit coming in at 2.1% of economic output. In a nutshell, the government was obliged on the European U- rules to get the deficit below 3% this year. It's going to be well below 2% now. Uh, Jim Parra, just bringing you in on this, the corporation tax receipts, that, that figure is the one that really stands out. I mean, it was $6.3 billion to the end of November. Uh, it equates to $2.1 billion increase year on year and $2.3 billion ahead of profile. That's uh, 58% almost ahead of profile. What's behind all of that? And what about these concerns about you know some of, the, some of these corporate tax returns actually not being sustainable, that it might be down to tax inversions or the likes of Apple and other multinationals trying to regularise their tax affairs here? Well, I suppose in overall terms, the letter from the Revenue Commission said that all but 300 million of the tax take so far this year is not due to cyclical reasons, so they would expect the same returns to be delivered next year, plus a little bit more. Um, on the corporation tax side, that there is a huge element of doubt about it. I mean, that sort of overshoot um, cannot be attributed to the better corporate performance because, okay, the environment is obviously better, uh, more profits are being earned, but not to that extent. So there's definitely an element of the... Um, the uh, accounting procedures changing yeah. um, in response to it's global worth, corporation tax Sure, it's worth saying that Michael Noonan in a statement issued with the Exchequer Returns, he said that the revenue commissioners have advised me that this overperformance is primarily related to improved trading conditions and is broad-based. I mean, it's an extraordinary uplift. Yes, it is. Um, and I, I think you'll find that the bulk of that uplift came from a very small number of very large companies that operate here, which to me would suggest there there is an element of accounting adjustments um, relating to the whole 
BEPS procedure at a global level. So with um, we, we may get more of that sort of ones off again next year. Uh, but I, I suspect this sort of growth in corporation tax revenues you know, won't be maintained into the longer term. But still, it does reflect that there is undoubtedly a better trading performance for most companies in the economy. So it's, it's and in your opinion, does up. this suggest that the recovery is actually more broadly based than Dublin or Greater Dublin, as has been suggested? In the recent past, well, um, it's it's clear that the Greater Dublin area has driven the economic recovery story over the last couple of years, particularly, you know, in in 2015. However, it's also becoming clear that trading conditions around the country are starting to improve. I mean, Cork, Limerick, Galway are doing pretty well, also. Um, not n- nothing like what's happening in Dublin, but still they're a hell of a lot better than they were 12 months ago. So I think these numbers, along with every other economic indicator we see, suggest a couple of things. One, that the recovery is strong. And secondly, that the recovery is becoming more broadly based, both from a sectoral perspective and also from a geographic perspective. Arthur. Well, I think one of the interesting points is that the the data last year showed that for the first time since the recession stopped and the economy started to turn around and to grow again, uh, was that that the, that the data showed that the domestic demand was coming back in, that the consumer was spending a little bit of money again. That was last year. And what these figures show that in respect of VAT, value-added tax, which is the tax on sales, that that's coming in ahead of profile as well. And that seems to me that seems to me to be significant. Enough, you know, because it does uh, betoken a certain confidence on the part of the consumer, even before people take the benefit of, you know, a modest tax cut come January, and people in the public mm. service get their pay increased again, and you get an increase in the minimum wage. So it seems to yeah. me that to a to point to uh, a higher degree of confidence as recovery proceeds? Um, I think there's a couple of points that need to be made in relation to the consumer side of the economy. I mean, a, a huge driver of that VAT take has been what's happening in the motor industry. You know, new car registrations up 30% um, in the year to the end of November. And in November alone, they were 24% higher than this time last year. So the VAT and VR take VRT take from that is very, very significant. Um, Another trend that we saw over the last couple of years was this gap in the retail sales between volume and value. Volume was going ahead reasonably strongly. The value was lagging, and particularly if you excluded car sales. So what that was suggesting that the shift product uh, price discounting Mm. was the name of the game. But that's starting to change a little bit. You know, we we are starting to see value growth coming back in. And I think that's going to be the trend for 2016 because, as Sarah said, when the tax cuts start to you know, impact on people's pockets, we're going to get further improvement in employment next year. We're going to get a pickup in earnings across the economy. So they would all suggest to me that the consumer recovery will become more... Arthur, I wanted real. to ask you about income tax receipts because um, they're bang in line with budget, which is good news, obviously. Um, but is that not a little surprising given the increase we've had in employment? Well, I mean, uh, I think it's undoubtedly the case. You know, the employment rate uh, is now below 9%, 8.9% in October, according to revised figures, and 8.9% again in November. These are really, really impressive figures. Uh, and uh, it seems to me a lot uh, a lot better than people might have foreseen at the start of the year. Nevertheless, the figures show that the income tax return in November itself was a little bit behind target. So, I mean, for a, for a long time, 
Uh, I think the fact was was that the the government wasn't seeing an income tax receipts. The uh, gradual recovery in employment with, with people going back to work, that is now seen, but it seems to me maybe there's a little bit of a lag in terms of those income tax receipts in terms of what might be expected given the very strong advance in employment this year. It, it also may be the case that a lot of jobs that are being created are relatively low paid at this juncture, so not much tax has been paid on them. Mm. Um, and that could certainly be some of the explanation for, you know, because the, the labour market is definitely performing much stronger than was anticipated this time last year. So logically, you would expect the income tax take to be further ahead of what, what they had forecast. Okay. And it's not very much so. That would suggest to me that um, there is an issue about the quality of the jobs being created. But it's one to watch, I think, evolve during 2016. OK, and Arthur, just in terms of non-tax revenue and capital receipts, uh, we're seeing some returns from the financial sector and... Uh, in terms of non-tax revenues, the central bank surplus of 500 million passed over to the exchequer, and in terms of capital receipts, 2.2 million from permanent TSB from uh, the closing off the contingent capital notes and also the sale of some shares in PTSB in the recent IPO. That's right and uh, I mean there's more of that to come given uh, moves to for the state to start exiting its uh, position of 99% ownership of allied Irish banks and it's also the fact that uh, this year that the state is taking the benefit of lower borrowing costs so even though the expenditure on the national debt is very 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 heavy, it's uh, down 600 million uh, on the forecast in the light of lower borrowing costs on the open market and as well as that as a result of the uh, early repayment of very expensive IMF loans. Yeah, let's just take up that point, uh, Jim, actually. 637 million euro, uh, the interest expenditure was ahead of profile, uh, uh, better than profile, if you like, below profile. Um, And this was primarily due to the IMF debt. How did we ever sign ourselves up to that crazy deal with the IMF back in the day? Uh, I assume at the time there was no other choice. Um, we, we we required money from the IMF. Uh, that was the rate they were prepared to give it to us at. I doubt we had any choice. Um, but thankfully, we managed to extricate ourselves from the situation. Um, I think the NTMA has done a pretty decent job over the last couple of years in mm. restructuring our debt and moving us on to cheaper debt. And, and the savings are starting to come through. And Arthur, fair to say that the, the money we've raised on the bond markets this year has come has come at a cheaper level than they had originally expected. Oh, yes, I, I think there's absolutely no doubt about that. I mean, essentially, IMF loans, they're loans from the lender of last resort. They don't come cheap and they don't do special one-off deals just because they figure they like the cut of the Irish or whomever it is. Uh, so, I mean, that deal is, is now history. Uh, uh, the IMF uh, remain uh, in a supervisory capacity, but uh, I mean the reality is they've got their money back. Um, they made a fine, uh, made a fine profit on it for as long as they were getting the repayments, and that's that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's look at the expenditure side. Social protection costs are down, and uh, no surprise there, I guess, with more people in work, etc. Uh, but the health costs are up. Just talk us through the health costs again. A lot of figures get bandied about. Um, you were saying to me before we came on air that Leo Vratker, the Minister for Health had originally sought a supplementary uh, figure of 600 million euro. He was given 665. He then increased it to 700, but he's he's been given to 665. It's pretty close. What's going on? Well, I mean, look at, uh, I suppose the, the background here is that there's a health spending overrun again this year. According to these figures, health spending is running 465 million ahead of target in the first 11 months of the year. That's not the end of it. There's still four weeks to go. In the days before the budget, the government decided it was going to 
to increase supplementary spending by 1.5 billion to health and an assortment of other departments. At that time, an allocation of 600 million was foreseen for health, in other words, 150 million more than the overspend right now. However, in recent uh, in recent weeks, Leo Varadkar went back to the government and said, look, he was going to need more, and he sought another 100 million. Now, what was ultimately settled earlier on today was a figure of 665 million, which means there is 200 million in additional spending to be made in the health service over and above what's already in the established budget this year. Uh, so, I mean, Leo Varadkar sought 100, 100 million more, a little bit more than that, and he got two thirds of it from Brendan Howland. Right. Jim, just in terms of the health overspend, how, how come every single year the health service seems to need yet more money? Um, because the population is getting older, the population is getting sicker, uh, the demand for health services is increasing. And welcome to Ireland of the future. You know, I think this is a trend that you're, sure. going, to, you're going to see continuing. Um, but they do a budget but the beginning or, yes. or at the end of the previous year, and yet they always manage to overshoot that. Yeah, I mean, there, there is obviously an issue within the Department of Health about the efficiency of spending. You know, there's no doubt about that. Um, proper value for money analysis does not seem to be uh, the name of the game in the Department of Health. There's an issue there. But, you know, if you, if you look at the, the political, the politics of this, I mean, the, the headlines we're seeing on a daily basis are about trolleys, about, you know, waiting lists, etc., etc. We all demand but more and more health service. We all demand better and better health service. And if we've any chance of getting it, we're going to have to pay a lot more money for it. That's the reality. So I, I think health in Ireland is the big intractable problem, but it's the big intractable problem in most developed economies at the moment. Managing the health budget is becoming incredibly difficult. If you look at France, for example, um, a bit of a crisis going on there in terms of healthcare provision as well, despite the quality of their healthcare system. So it, it, it's an issue, and I suppose it's the one, if you were, you know, worried about the future of Ireland, it's it's the one area that would keep you awake at night. It's how you can possibly deliver a decent health service at an affordable cost. Arthur, uh, the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Brendan Heller, made the point that we're now able to pay for our day-to-day expenditure with our day-to-day income, which is a completely different situation to what we had, obviously, around uh, 2010, 2011, when they came into power. This sets them up very nicely for the next general election. Um, well, I mean, they're certainly in a very good position. Uh, I think the sense is that uh, people out there, they accept recovery is there. They accept that uh, you know the economy has turned around. I think people are still demanding to see the benefit in their own pockets, Uh, It's anticipated that will come in the budget. That was an act of political necessity. But when you look at where the the country was when the government took power and where the public finances are now and where the the growth rate is and where the the employment levels, uh, they're certainly in a very, very, very good position, notwithstanding what the opinion polls say. And uh, just to close off here, Jim, uh, in your economic outlook uh, for, for Friends First uh, earlier this week, you said that uh, GDP would expand by 6.3% this year and 4.5% in 2016. Just wondering, are you going to have to revise those figures now based on these strong exchequer returns? And you also make the point that housing has become a, ma- a major policy issue for, for next year. OK, no, I won't be revising them based on these figures because um, it was quite obvious that the November figures were going to be exceptionally strong based on 
from what we saw happening in the real economy. Um, if I'm wrong on the forecast for 2016, and I have been known to be wrong with my forecast <laughs> in the past, but if I am, I suspect. <laughs> I just go back. I suspect growth will actually turn out stronger than four and a half percent. I think that's where the risk bias is. The reason why I go for a number that looks relatively cautious compared to last year, you know, we go from 6.3 to four and a half, is the, the, this year the year-on-year growth rates are being totally exaggerated by the low base from which we're coming. And I suppose as the base rises, the year-on-year effect becomes a little bit more muted. But 4.5% growth, if achieved in Ireland in 2016, would represent an incredibly uh, positive, vibrant economic outlook. And based on everything we see domestically going into 2016, not least the fiscal background, um, that sort of growth is deliverable. However, I would caution to add that uh, we should not become complacent or arrogant about this. We shouldn't get carried away with these sorts of numbers we saw today in the Exchequer. Uh, the reality is that so much of our growth has been driven by external factors. And if you look at what's happening externally or what's likely to happen for 2016, okay, oil prices will remain low, the euro will remain weak, and interest rates set by the ECB will remain very low. The global economic outlook bit is what I would worry about. Even in the last Last couple of days, we've seen very weak manufacturing numbers out of the states. Okay, manufacturing is about 12% of the US economy. But the point is that one of the reasons for that weakness in manufacturing is a slowdown in global demand. So that obviously, you know, reflects on what's happening to the global economy. And in Canada, which is an economy that has been doing very well over the last few years, uh, the latest Canadian growth numbers for September were very, very weak. So and in the emerging economies like China, the Brazil stuff happening, in recession. Brazil in recession, Russia in recession. So there's lots to worry about, actually, for 2016 in terms of global economic backdrop. And it's against that sort of background, I think we need to be really prudent and sensible about how we manage the largest that's now coming the way of okay. government. And for the likes of you and Arthur, these exchequer figures very strong. They mean a, a heck of a lot, but will they actually translate into votes, do you think, for Fine Gael and Labour come the next election? Well, logically they should. Um, if you look at every single economic indicator in the economy, um, since this government was elected, they're all significantly better today. You look at employment, you look at the level of consumer spending, you look at the export, uh, you look at the exchequer finances, everything is better than it was. So if you apply economic logic and if you believe the notion that it's the economy stupid, well, then this should benefit the government. But then you look at the opinion polls and you look at mm. the performance of labour. Um, I think Arthur mentioned earlier on, you know, that one of the challenges um, for the government going into 2016 and an election is making the recovery real in terms of people's pockets. You know, there's a strong statistical recovery as such, but we haven't yet really felt it in our pockets. Um, and that's why, you know, the budget measures announced in October, when they start to hit the pockets in January, it should help. But I think that, you know, if the current parties want to remain in government, they're going to have to... Well, I think whatever party wants to be in government the next time will have to set out very clearly over the five years of the government, whatever government it is, this is what we intend doing with taxes. This is what we intend putting back into your pocket. So whoever does that most successfully um, in convincing the electorate, I think will do best. OK, we'll leave it there. Jim Power, economist, Arthur Beasley, uh, economics editor of the Irish Times. Thank you for joining us. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. 
Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. We move now to the sale of Topaz, Ireland's biggest fuel group. Businessman Dennis O'Brien took control of Topaz in December 2013, reportedly paying €150 million Euro for its €300 million Euro loans to IBRC's liquidators. Today, he sold the business to Canadian listed group Couchetard for a reported €450 million. Euros. And joining me in studio to discuss the deal is Mark Paul, business affairs correspondent of the Irish Times. Mark, why has Dennis O'Brien sold the business? This has come as quite a surprise, hasn't it? Well, if he sold it, as, as industry sources are saying, for between four hundred. 150 and 500 million euro he's probably sold it because he's got a very very good price and he's made an awful lot of money from the deal and um, we know from when he pulled his digital quotation that Dennis O'Brien won't sell businesses if he doesn't think he's going to get the valuation that he wants and um, so he only sells when uh, uh, when he gets a, a valuation that that, that 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 meets his expectations um, it it appears to be an extraordinary deal for Dennis O'Brien. Um, I mean, he bought this business less than, or he took control of this business less than two years ago. He was already an investor in it. Um, and he bought the bank loans from IBRC under, under, under the special liquidation of that bank. Um, and he's done a bit of restructuring. Obviously, he would have had to put some uh, working capital into the business. Um, um, and uh, uh, he's also paid about 75 million euros to add ESO onto the business. And that's grown it now to a network of um, 464 uh, 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 four courts around the country um, uh, Topaz owns and operates 162 of those 2,000 staff um, it has about 35% of the retail fuels market um, but Dennis O'Brien has sold this business uh, it appears uh, uh, for more than twice the amount of money he paid for it now bearing in mind that it is a larger business and he has done a lot of work in restructuring or whatever but it, the timing of it is very strange because it's a little bit like getting a sick patient fixing it up again and then as soon as the patient is, uh, is, is healthy again um, 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 let him go off to somebody else why would you do that You're, you know, it's the fastest growing economy in Europe why not hold on to it and, uh, and reap the spoils over coming years so why do you think he sold it well, obviously, uh, uh, he's got a very wide and varied business empire. He will, if he gets a good price, he will, he will take that good price. Maybe he will take that money. Maybe he needs it to invest in other businesses. Um, and maybe he has other deals in mind that he wants well, to Let's get down to brass tax because there is a lot of speculation out there in, in the marketplace that Dennis O'Brien has, uh, has certain financial uh, calls that he has to meet. And this is one of the reasons why he was prepared to float Digicel um, to, to, generate some, uh, to, to generate some net work for himself, I suppose. Uh, do you believe those rumours? Yeah, look, they're rumours. Uh, if, if, if I was able to stand over them and say they were absolutely correct, I'd write a story to that effect. Nobody knows how much Dennis, how much cash Dennis O'Brien needs to raise. It and he is, has been selling assets over the last wee while. He has been he? selling assets. I mean, during the summer, he sold another fuel business, Harvest Energy in the UK, and it was reported that he only broke even on that investment. And um, again, that's, that's speculation uh, in another newspaper. He recently sold, for example, another small business, BB's Coffees and Muffins. Um, that's only a small business. It was only worth 10 million euros. So he does sell assets. He sold a share holding in our 
Erlingus before uh, Erlingus was sold. He, to s- he sold a shareholding in Erlingus. But look, 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 he's got a wide and varied portfolio of assets across a whole range of different industries. Um, he's buying and selling and doing deals all the time, moving cash from one industry to another. Does he need to ra- raise cash to, to, to make calls on his finances? Perhaps he does, um, or perhaps he needs it to invest in other businesses. Okay. Now, who are Couchetard and what are, what are their plans for tokens? Alimentation Couchetard are a Canadian-listed company. Um, and they have about 15,000 fuel uh, forecourts, uh, mainly in the US, in, mainly in North America, but also in Europe and, and, and further afield, about 8,000 of them in Europe. Um, their main... Uh, uh, retail brand is, is uh, which they've only just newly created or newly announced is going to be called Circle K and it appears that all the Topaz um, shops the shops in Topaz are going to be rebranded as Circle K and they've only just been rebranded here haven't they under the re.store yeah restore um, um, and which is a concept that Topaz uh, uh, derived itself um, um, Emmett O'Neill the chief executive of Topaz who's also a nephew of Dennis O'Brien said today that um, he'd, he'd annoyed some of his own research staff because they were in the process of coming up with new private label brands uh, for restore he was actually drink- as, he, as he announced the deal he was drinking from a bottle of restore water um, um, and that brand is, uh, is, 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 is going to be gone pretty soon now, Kushtar uh, said today that it did not know what brands were going to be over the forecourts of the Topaz outlets, what fuel brand effectively it's going to be. Um, so that is yet to be decided, but we do know that the shops are going to be called Circle K. We know that the deal is going to be completed um, and, and, and they'll take get the keys to the building, so to speak, sometime in, in February or perhaps March. Yeah. And am I right in saying that they have the rights to the SO name for a, a period to come? They have taken over some, some SO stores? Um, and they have taken over some SSOs. They've taken over about 90, 94, 95 of them and 400 staff. They do have the rights uh, 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 to the SSO. I think uh, Emmett O'Neill mentioned today, I think maybe for another six months or something like that. Um, and he what about Emmett O'Neill? Is he going to stay with the business? Emmett O'Neill is not going to stay with the business. As soon as the deal closes, he's going to go. Um, um, he, as I said, he's a nephew of Dennis O'Brien. He's, a, he's the guy who used, to, who used to run a company called Smiles Dental, which he sold for, 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 for a tidy sum of money. He also bought Mount Juliet Golf Resort and then flipped it on within a matter of months. Um, earlier on this year as well. He also owns 10% of Topaz and he's done very well out of it because um, uh, he bought that 10% from Dennis O'Brien during the summer via an Isle of Man and Cyprus company uh, for 3.5 million euros. Um, so uh, he's made quite a lot of money out of this as well uh, and he seemed rather pleased at himself today at the, uh, at the press conference. So what, what will, how much will he have made? Um, well, if it, it, again, the, the exact number depends on how he funded it and, and, and whether he had to borrow any of that money. But uh, the enter- if the enterprise value of, uh, of of, of Topaz is, is you know in excess of 450 million 10% of that obviously is 45 he bought his at 3.5 tens of millions he has made on it uh, at, at, and he's about what 37 years of age okay so I mean in your opinion you've spoken to these guys today the new owners is this going to be good for Irish forecourt retailing they wouldn't uh, be nailed down on, on what level of expansion they were planning but they did say that they're investors and that they're not uh, that, they, that they don't intend to cut back um, and they said that uh, the exact details of what they would do with the business um, 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 would depend on, on, on their, their upcoming conversations with the Irish management team but they did say that the staff the 2,000 staff in Topaz in Ireland uh, need not be worried that's what they said um, and, and immediately prior to this deal I mean Dennis O'Brien or, well uh, Emmett O'Neill should I say uh, on behalf of, of the main shareholder Dennis O'Brien was looking at expanding the business abroad he was talking about it as recently as six weeks ago um, so whilst we don't know exactly 
why Dennis O'Brien has sold it. We do know that it, the deal appears to have been done pretty quickly. And I suppose the one question that's on the lips of all taxpayers, Mark, is that given that Dennis O'Brien has sold this business now for 450 to 500 million, as you've stated, two years after acquiring it from the liquidators of IBRC, uh, and the liquidators took a 50% haircut, we're told, on the 300 million euros in loans that were were owed um, by the business. It looks like a spectacularly bad piece of business on behalf of taxpayers by, by the liquidators. Is that fair? It's 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 an opinion. Uh, 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 it's, it's 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 an opinion. Look, he he got a good deal from the moment he bought Topaz, based upon the earnings of some of its rivals, its stock market rivals like Apple Green. And when you, when when you compare that to the earnings of Topaz uh, from the day he bought the business, uh, he bought it. He, he bought a business for 150 million euros that was probably worth 250 to 270 at the time. Um, he's added uh, uh, SO to it since. Uh, now we don't know how much debt has it acquired since, so we can't give an, an exact amount of figures. But certainly he got the business cheaply. But look, it was a fire sale. Of assets by a, by a liquidated bank. It's not the same as a flotation. It's not the same as, as, as the value that Apple Green would have got when it hit the stock market. But certainly the state appears to have gotten, taxpayers appear to have gotten another, um, um, you know, I suppose you could say a bad deal on this, a bad deal. But, you know, you've got to remember this is the circumstances of a bus bank. Um, and the state wasn't exactly in a position in December 2013 to hold out for a brilliant deal. Okay, Mark Paul, thank you for joining us. That's it from this week's Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Jim Power, to Arthur Beasley and to Mark Paul. Sinead O'Shea produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.